0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. So the weeks leading up to now, help me again. Um, obviously, I'm just filling in. We had an intro week. We learned about the primary and secondary things, All right primary things that are necessary for salvation, secondary things, things that are not necessary for salvation, but are very important, helpful. What are some of the solos we've covered up to this point? Catch me up. Huh? Oh, Gloria's this morning. That's right. Oh, no, we don't have our banner. Well, no wonder nobody's saying anything. Nobody knows what they are. They're all gone. Okay, faith, grace, we did word, I heard the person who did that one did great job, word alone. Well, this morning we have the opportunity for soli deo gloria. I should have worn my glasses, I could see the monitor in the back a little bit better, soli deo gloria. Glory is an interesting thing, as I was spending some time trying to think about it. Uh, I was spending some time observing our culture, our world, just thinking about glory all, well, really the last couple of weeks after I finished with Word, I began immediately transitioning, thinking about glory. Some interesting observations that began to settle on me is I really think we have a world and a culture that quite honestly is consumed with glory. Think about it for me, with me for a second. You see, any great work of art, one of the first things that comes to someone's mind is, who made that? Who made that beautiful work of art? Look in the corner, right, wanting to see who gets the credit. Perhaps you go on a vacation somewhere, you see an incredible skyline, and the most beautiful building of all of them in the skyline, you think about, man, who is the architect that created that beautiful, incredible building? Or for any of you guys or gals who like sports, the ESPN top 10, glory, right? It's a, it's a condensed way for us to take in doses the most glorious, amazing plays of the week. And we count them down from 10 to one because there has to be a winner. There has to be a number one. Whether it's sports or regular culture, we're constantly looking for ways to assign credit, give glory, right? Um, politics. Who is the person who spearheaded that victorious bill? Who are the people who voted against it? So we can hold that against them later, perhaps. Or, oh, does anybody remember the top 100 with Casey Kasem? Oh, yes. The Top 100 with Casey Kasem. I remember listening to that. Um, every Sunday morning, we would drive from Washington to Vincennes. My mom had this church she served at, and we would listen to it every Sunday morning, before and after church, it would be on. And I always, I always get so excited the closer and closer we get to number one. Who's going to be number one? Who's going to be number one? What's that guy doing anymore? See, he's probably still doing this. Oh, he may have entered into glory. Um, I should have looked that up ahead of time. Casey Kasem, though, top 100. We have to know who's number one. For some reason, it seems written on our hearts, I would say, there always has to be a first place. There always has to be credit given. We, want, we have to know who gets the glory, who gets the credit. Whether it's the pursuit of seeing who gets that glory or the pursuit of it ourselves for glory and for credit, this has been the case throughout the history, I think, of the world. Whether it's been the establishing of kings and queens or the expanding of kingdoms through war, all the way down to just the simple of putting pen to paper, we are consumed with glory as a world and as a people. And I would say it's because we were actually created that way. We were created for glory. The only problem is is sin has seized the opportunity and we seek to seize it for ourselves. We were created for glory, but we were created for the glory of God, not for the glory of ourselves, which is one of the oldest sins in creation, to steal, chase after the glory of God and make it our own. So let's take a look at what this glory of God is, and we'll dive into a little bit of some of the dangers of stealing the glory of God and some of the things likewise. This is your first point there. We were created for and long for the glory of God. Sorry, I should have put that up there quicker for you. We were created for and we long for God's glory unfortunately, we often seek it for ourselves. Here's a helpful article I was reading. John Piper gave a little bit of a definition when thinking about the glory of God. He said this, the glory of God is the holiness of God put on display. That is, it is the infinite worth of God-made Manifest. I'll think about this for a second and perhaps consider Isaiah 6. I don't know if I put that on a slide. I don't think I did. No, I didn't. I apologize. But many of us are very familiar. Oh, I'll go back to this. So sorry, ladies. There's that quote there for you. The glory of God is the holiness of God put on display. Can I make it big enough? Yeah, hopefully. Okay, good. That is the infinite worth of God made manifest. Think of Isaiah 6. Here's part of what he's getting at. He uses Isaiah 6 as part of his um, excursus here, talking about it a little bit more. There's a quick logical flow when thinking about the holiness of God and then going to the glory of God, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? This is what the seraphim and the angels are declaring in this vision for Isaiah. And then what do they go to next, The whole earth is full of his glory. Holiness and glory. The infinite worth of God made manifest. When God reveals how he is different, other than, separate from, distinct, holy, than us, he's revealing his glory. That is his glory. His glory made manifest. When his holiness is put on display so too is his glory. That is God's glory. How he is different from us and all others. There's a quick connection between God's holiness and his glory. Think of the smoke filling the temple. His robe went from end to end. The seraphim were covering their eyes and their feet out of fear and reverence for this holy God king who sat on the throne. The very sound of his voice shook the foundations of the temple. You see, this was God's glory on display for Isaiah, and he knew it, and he was utterly ruined, quickly aware of how other than God was, and quickly aware of his own insufficiencies, right? What did he see quickly? He saw his sin. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live in the midst of a people with unclean lips, there's lots of other moments in Scripture. I'd be curious to hear from you guys. What are some other moments we've seen here in Isaiah 6, but now that we have a working definition that we're working with for God's glory, what are some other moments in Scripture that you guys can think of where God's holiness is on display, God's glory is being revealed? Yeah. Well, Philip, um, when Christ was born, the angels, that hmm. When Christ was born and the angels came, yep, they were singing of God's glory, declaring his glory. Yeah. That was a revelatory act that God was doing. Anytime God acted or acts in space and time, he's revealing things about himself. God cannot act without revealing about himself because he always acts in accordance with his character and his nature and his essence. Therefore, it is revelatory in nature, it is revealing more about himself. It's his glory on display. That's good. God's birth. Yeah. Transfiguration. The transfiguration. That's a great one. You're stealing, stealing some of my thoughts. That's good. That's what I was hoping was going to happen. Yes, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Literally, his, he's laying aside his humanity there, but his glory is coming through. His, his top three apostles there, the select three, got to see some of his glory there. Yeah. Yeah. Moses on the mountain in Mount Sinai, his face literally glowed, shone, was bright. I couldn't imagine what that would have been like. He can only imagine why he put a veil over his face, whether or not he was right to do so. Um, but yeah, Moses on Mount Sinai, literally being in the presence and the glory of God, it emanated from him. What a great picture of going from one degree of glory to God and, and God transforming us as we spend time in his presence and how it changes us. You're gonna say something else? The mountain began covered in smoke. It shook. The people were afraid and fearful. Yeah, God's glory. Yeah. Hmm. Talking about in Psalms how the heavens declare God's handiwork and His majesty. Creation itself is a revelatory act. It's something that God did, therefore, revealing more of His character, His nature, His essence, His glory. Think of Romans chapter 1, right? Creation, general revelation. It reveals things about God. And it's revelatory enough to make man guilty of sin. But is it revelatory enough to save? No. It's not enough to save. It's not sufficient. Yes. Hmm. How about that? Yes. Revelation 4, verse 11. That's what he's pointing to there. Revelation 4, verse 11. He alone is worthy to receive glory. Alone is worthy to receive glory. Amen. Yes. Those are good. Those are fantastic. We see God's glory littered all over Scripture and all over creation, God is acting in time and space or when he is revealed uniquely and specially through his special revelation in his word, we see his glory all over the place. In your prayer that you just prayed, you Mm. said, I hope God was glorifying himself Mm. this weekend. Yeah. That was interesting. I don't even remember saying that. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yes. Praise God. Hmm. We're going to get into that. Again, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Well, for time we must press on. Thank you for that observation. That is helpful. Many, many points in Scripture. Moses and the Ten Commandments. I just kept thinking about the the high places. There's these, these unique, epic moments, you know, on high places that God seems to do these special revelations of His glory. Moses on the mountain. Jesus' transfiguration once again on, on a mount. There's another moment on a little bit of a mount that I think is the most unique manifestation of the glory of God that we have not discussed yet. Mount Calvary, the place called Golgotha. I don't think there's anywhere where there's a more comprehensive manifestation of the glory of God than at the cross of Christ. There in that moment... At the cross of Christ, we see a unique manifestation, a revealing of the holiness of God, a showing of His infinite worth that is more glorious than anything else, I think, ever has been, or will be. In that moment at the cross, we see the holiness of God. We see the justice of God. We see the love of God. We see the wrath of God. We see God as a father, God as the son. We see his graciousness. We see his power. We see his sovereignty. We see his omniscience and knowing and bringing all things together. So much of the character of God on display in that one moment at the cross of Christ. Glory. 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 I don't think there's anywhere else where we see more of the glory of God than at the bright and burning cross of Christ. And it's when we sit in its shadow that we would see God's glory most clearly. It's here we also learn another profound truth about the glory of God, and that's that God's glory comes through suffering. It's unique. God's glory is associated with suffering, so he has chosen. The rest of the world's forms of glory would shudder and retreat, at this thought, that glory should come with suffering. Matter of fact, it's, I think, largely why the world is blind to the glory of God in the moments that are glorious to him. But think about 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Thank you, yeah. Um, John 15.20, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Acts 14.22 Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. God's glory is connected through much suffering. I've seen suffering lead to God's glory in, in my own life. Um, for the sake of time, I'll just share a couple of quick stories. There was one time, and I know this is small and menial, um, I was on staff with Campus Outreach, headed to Purdue University, just finished actually a weekend retreat much like this one, but in the spring that the students are doing right now. And I was headed to campus, and there was this particular guy I was really excited to get to spend some time with. And at this time, I had a different car than the one I had now. Had about 300,000 miles on a GMC Sonoma, um, that bad boy would putter. Uh, had to putter because that's about the only way it went. Um, and I was on my way to campus, and and I was actually on the phone with a student that I was hoping to go get some time with. And this this light mist of what appeared to be rain all of a sudden appeared on my windshield. So you know I turn on my wipers, and then it streaks. I'm like, uh oh, that's Uh-oh. not rain. That's oil. I have oil all over my windshield, and so immediately, and then I look down. You know, the the temperature gauge is going way up. The you know, RPMs are revving way up. I have a problem. Thankfully, I was about at the top of a hill at the time. I immediately throw the truck in neutral, kill it. You know, I'm like, I'm about to blow this thing up. I need to, you know, I'm like, Lord, what's going on? I'm coasting, you know, down the hill. Power steering's out now. At this point, you know, so it's very, very hard and immediately I'm exiting off this little back road on the way to campus at Purdue University just as quickly as I can. I take the first turn I can, you know, ripping on the steering wheel. I'm not very strong, so it's hard to get it over. You know, just immediately pulling the first parking lot, immediately pulling the first parking spot. I come to a coasting stop, and I look up, and in front of me is the apartment of another young man that I had neglected. Another young man who was at that weekend retreat. I wasn't thinking of him, was thinking of someone else. I thought maybe it was better to spend time with that evening. I thought, okay, God, I can take a hint. See, if I would have had my way, I would have went and spent time with someone else. But that night, my truck comes to a screeching halt. Very inconvenient, might I add. Not really suffering, kind of suffering, but. And that night, that kid, he was on his way to Walmart. So I call him up. He stops. He comes back. Picks me up. And he's like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "Apparently, I'm going to Walmart." So we go to Walmart together, We spend some time, and in the frozen food section on the back of his grocery list, we get to talking about the gospel, talking about what he learned over the weekend, just drew out a little illustration for him. That night, Jacob came to Christ. If I would have had my way, if I would have done what I wanted to do, if I would have been where I wanted to be, that divine appointment never would have happened. No, God, God got his glory that night. He got me out of the way, got me where he wanted, and he did his thing. God got the glory. Another short one, much of my young life growing up, much of my testimony is surrounded around suffering with my parents. Both my parents served in the church for many years growing up. My dad's pastor. My mom was worship leader for many, many years. Um, and by the time I got into high school, there was a lot of wrestling you know, with faith. I had borrowed, not bought any of my convictions spiritually, and I didn't actually have a personal relationship with God yet at this time. By the time I get to college, I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm bitter. Both my parents are struggling with health, so much so that my mom had become disabled by the time I'm in high school, really struggling with chronic pain, fibromyalgia, Crohn's, things like that. She's fine now uh, for the most part, but deals with these things on a daily basis. And after my freshman year of college, sometime through that, my best friend had passed away from cancer, so I'm just mad at God, just mad, spending many of my nights away as much as I can because I don't want to be anywhere near my parents because I I know what they want to talk about. They want to talk about God, and I didn't want to have anything to do with that at the time, and I was wrestling. But God and his sovereignty, because of my mom's sickness and because she didn't feel well and because she couldn't sleep most nights because she was in chronic pain, was awake, when I would come trying to sneak in late at night, every night. And you know, her being awake because she was sick, because of one of the things that made me so mad at God, afforded the opportunity for many, many sweet gospel conversations that summer. And it was shortly after that that I came to know the Lord. God got his glory. It was through suffering, it was through trials, some of my mother's, some of mine, but God was getting us out of the way for divine appointment, for him to get his glory. God gets his glory. One author, David Van Drunen, said this, <clears throat> this sola, soli deo gloria, it's the glue that holds all other solas in place. Other writers said this, it's the logical implication of all other four of the solas. So let's see if we can remember them all. Sola, sola gratia, by grace alone, word alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. This one though, to God alone be the glory, is the glue and the logical implication, meaning all the others lead to this. There's a quote, I think that's helpful in explaining some of this. Hopefully that's large enough to read, I'll read it to you. What justifies such strong claims, David Van Drunen says. Simply put, the fact that salvation is by faith alone, grace alone, and Christ alone without any meritorious contribution on our part ensures that all glory is God's and not ours. Likewise, the fact that Scripture alone is the final authority without any ecclesiastical tradition, magisterium, or pope supplementing or overruling it protects the glory of God Against every human conceit. What's clearly in focus here at this time is the Roman Catholic Church, but the same heart issues and idols about wanting to steal the glory of God are still true for us today that was for those then. There's a common point for each of the solas. There's actually a word in common for each sola that I think points to the glory of God. What's the one word that each sola has in common? Alone, (laughs) or solely, yeah, right? No, it was not a trick. You thought it was a trick. It's not a trick, right? They all sola something, or solely something, or alone. It's fidelity. If we lose fidelity to any one of the solas, we lose God's glory. You lose it. Because it's the fidelity for each and every single one of those that protects us from an opportunity to try to steal God's glory. God, in his perfect, infinite wisdom, has made it this way. If we make any effort to supplement any of the solas, we only serve to subvert them, and maybe most dangerously, subvert the glory of God. Now, we must hold faithfully to each of them, And it will faithfully lead to God getting his glory and his glory alone. And it's here I'd like to talk about a great exchange. Maybe not the great exchange you're thinking of, though, when I say the words great exchange. See, the glory of God in our lives must begin at the end of the glory of ourselves, it must begin at the glory of ourselves. A quote for you here from Calvin We never truly glory in him and God and Christ until we have utterly discarded our own glory. The elect are justified by the Lord in order that they may glory in him and none else. I think a very helpful passage for this is in Romans chapter one. For although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to him, but they came futile in their thinking, foolish, and their hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And here it is and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They exchanged the glory of God for the glory of man, for the glory of the world. We are in danger of that, brothers and sisters, every single day, even as believers. Believers and unbelievers alike are constantly in danger of this. We must be careful. Consider... What are some of the things that you guys think of that the world finds glory, identity, self-worth in? Shout them out. What are some things the world finds glory in? Work, absolutely. Having money, and power. money, power, good. Looks, appearance. That's not a problem for some, of us. some of us, it's not a problem. You're right, Dan. Um, <laughs> Having it or finding identity in it. Which one was it for you, Dan? I don't know. Athletic ability. Athletic ability. The money we spend on sports. Oh, well, that's actually a great point. Where are we spending our money? That'll probably evidence quite quickly. Uh, your, your, your finite resources will often evidence what you, wor- what you worship your money, your time, dogs. I don't know where dogs fit in there. Oh, just animals, dogs. We could worship those. Fine, okay. Uh, I mean, some people, I guess, only they have so many dogs, or yeah, um, things, just anything in the world. So think about that for a moment. These are the things that we glory in as people. How about our children? That was one I was thinking of. Our children. How well we're doing raising our children, finding identity in their performance. Is Canaan going to have an epic meltdown in the frozen food section today? I don't know kids are good. God uses that. Teach us a lot about ourselves. Now think about this. We exchange the glory of God for those things. Think of the glory of God. We've talked about many of them already. The skies declare his handiwork. He holds the universe in a span between his thumb and his pinky is how it's illustrating that the hollow of the waters and the hollow of his hand, the ever-expanding universe shouts to the unlimited capacity of God. Psalm 139, God knitted you and your children together in the mother's womb. Glory of God. And as we talked about before, the cross of Christ, there is no greater place to see God's glory than at that place called Golgotha where God did the unthinkable. The most beautiful and horrendous moment all at the same time where the king of kings allowed his creation to put him up on a wooden cross. But that was not the hardest part, no. It was separation between him and his father, all done for glory. For glory. It glorified the father. Not my will be done, but yours. We see the power of this glory leads to even more glory for God. Think about just the sanctification of a brother or sister and how God is so honored and glorified in that. Or think about the salvation of a friend. Maybe you've had the honor and distinct, awesome privilege to see a dear friend or family member come to know Christ. Think about the glory of God in that. When you see them go from death to life, the way they worship the things of this world, and just seeing those shackles come off of them, as they fall in love with the word of God, as they fall in love with the people of God, and you literally just get to, before them, sit and worship everything God is doing in their life. And awe, really, as you sit back and like, how is this happening? Or think about your own testimony, and it can seem so familiar at this point, so almost common. Never let your testimony or the gospel of Christ become common Remember the incredibleness of that and the glory of God that is revealed in that. Think about who you used to be. Think about the logical implication of where your life would have gone had God not intervened in the moment that he did. Think about where you would be. For some of us, that's easier than others. Some of us maybe came to Christ a little bit later than others. For some of you who are a young child, maybe when you came to know the Lord, that can be a little bit more difficult. But the glory of God, and remember we exchange it. We exchange it subtly, subversively, in tiny little ways. We'll exchange it. We could live for this, this incredible glory of God, not about us. And I exchange it for the glory of the world in so many subtle little ways. I exchange it for the glory of man. You know, one of the most common uh, difficulties I, I have with men when I'm talking to them about the Lord and about committing their life to Christ is often this this fear of missing out. You ever had that in your own life or in someone else's life? They're afraid that they're going to miss out on some perceived good in this world. I'll come to Christ, but if I, you know, if I come to Christ right now, you know, I'm really not going to be able to finish my career the way I'm hoping to finish my career. If I come to Christ right now, I know that God is going to, he's not going to be, you know, honored in this relationship that I have, and I just, I can't stand the thought of letting that go. It's easy for me to identify that sometimes in the lives of others because that, that was my story. I was afraid to miss out coming to Christ. I thought, well, let me enjoy the world first, and then when I get to the, you know, the 11th hour at the very end of my life, you know, then I'll cash in and you know, come to Christ and you know, get eternity as well. I was afraid I was gonna miss out. I thought coming to Christ would be settling for less. You see, dear friends, we've already settled for less. If we've settled for anything short of the glory of God great exchange. Another great exchange, not the great exchange of Christ for us, but we do a great exchange as well. We exchange the glory of God for simple little things of this world. And we think are glorious, but they too will come to an end. We do this. We must be careful of this. And there's dangers. There's dangers of exchanging the glory of God the glory of man. I think we need to be careful of those. In those moments, we're stealing what rightfully belongs to God. In those moments, we're setting ourselves up with enmity to God, and God is a jealous God, is he not? He says this in Isaiah, "'I am the Lord that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols.'" It's a scary thing to fall into the hands of a living God. We have to be careful, brothers and sisters. We need to be warning our lost friends and family not to deal lightly here. The glory of God is not something to be meddled with or to be stolen. God will not share it. He gives us some warnings in his scripture. We'll take a look at that briefly. Um, It's a little bit longer, so if you want to turn in your copy of God's Word to Acts 12, feel free. If it's big enough on the screen, uh, follow along. Hopefully, Hopefully it is. It looks like it might be. Here's a picture and a warning against stealing God's glory in Acts 12. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him in one accord, having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, and they asked for peace because the country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put his royal robes on, took his seat on the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, I love that, immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. I love this but the word of God increased and multiplied. You see, there is suffering in the stealing of the glory of God to set yourself up at enmity with God. God will not share his glory. It's terrifying to think how many subtle times and ways I do this in my own heart. Man, praise God for his mercy. How many times could he have struck me down and fed me to worms before I came to Christ? was covered in his blood and even now as a believer in the subtle ways that I steal his glory he'll make sure that he gets his glory ultimately in this life or the next God will get his glory right that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and tongue confess whether in heaven or in earth or under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord and how does it finish to the glory of God the Father he will get his glory. There's a warning to stealing the glory of God. The glory of God should be a great motivator for us for evangelism. A great motivator. A great motivator. There's also a great biblical example for us from the apostles of not stealing the glory of God. That one may be a little smaller. I apologize. Acts chapter 14, if you want to turn in your copy of God's Word. Acts chapter 14, verses 8 to 17. This is the longest one, I promise. I'm so sorry. I'll read it to you. 14, 8 to 17. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul had heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. Mm, I love that. To a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them In the past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. Love that. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. See, here is a great picture of God's people not stealing God's glory. I love the quick awareness of the apostles here to see what was happening. No, 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 no. This glory belongs to God. We are but mere men and they are quick to turn and give the glory of the God. This is a great picture, a great picture and example for us to follow, making sure God gets his credit and glory. We need to be jealous for the glory of God. There seems to be a jealousy in their heart, right? They They are jealous for God to get his glory. But the zeal, too, just like we saw, that there was a cost, To stealing the glory of God and setting yourself up at enmity with God, there's a cost here too, brothers and sisters. Once again, there is a cost to making sure you are giving God the glory in a lost and dying world that is dying to assign it to anywhere but God. Just finish the passage. It's unbelievable. Even with these words, the very next verse, even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. They kept doing it anyways. They kept doing it anyways. And the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead, left him for dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and he entered the city. He went back. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel in that city, had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Ticonium Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Man, what acute awareness Paul would have had in that moment of the words he was saying. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. I have two questions. First question Where is the suffering? Where do you see the suffering? Paul is stoned. Yep, yeah, ball's on the tee there. Swing away. Paul was stoned. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Glory was robbed from God there, right? They continued to just want to offer the sacrifices to them and want to commit it to these other false gods. It's good. Where else? Any other places you guys saw suffering? I think about the apostles sometimes in this moment. How discouraging it must have been in that moment, preaching and teaching, begging for people to come to know Christ. Christ. And then all those things to happen and then to keep wanting to make sacrifices to those gods and then drag them out and their own people, the Jews, come and persuade everybody to basically try to kill them. Man, that must have been... You, you want to talk about failed ministry. You feel like you know, sharing with your co-workers is discouraging. Read this. Uh, you'll be encouraged. They're not trying to stone me, at least. Doing okay. Um, God, god's being gracious. Much suffering here. Where's the glory? Where's the glory? Go back to this passage. It's in here. Where's the glory? It reminds me of your story. You had that incident with your vehicle, but you ended up somewhere else. So they were rejected in one place. They went somewhere else. That's a great point. God, maybe by his grace, definitely by his grace, preserved Paul, moved Paul away from where he was because the next day they go where? To Derby. And then what happened there? Made many disciples. Many disciples. And they encouraged many saints. They encouraged many others. They were able to appoint elders in some places. Yeah, God got his glory. He moved them on from where hearts were hardened and were not softened and open to the gospel brought them to where God was going to do his thing. There was perseverance of the saints and God sparing Paul's life. The fact that he went back into the city, still to this day, just amazes me. What a great picture for us to be encouraged to never give up, no matter how resistant, how hostile somebody is to the gospel. You just never know what God is going to use in a person's life to open them up to the gospel one day. You never know. I mean, think of Paul himself, right? So hostile to the gospel. You know that he was a man who regularly thought of his own testimony and how God was merciful to him, that that would have encouraged him to continue on with those who were so hostile to the gospel themselves. It makes you wonder in moments, was he thinking about a moment where he maybe threw the first stone at a Christian when he got back up and went back into that city? Very likely. Very likely be encouraged. God is being gracious. You never know when he will open a door for the gospel, even to those who are the most resistant. And if God saves one of those, who gets more glory? God gets more glory. God loves to shame the wise with the simple and to humble the strong with the weak. He gets his glory. I just want to finish with one thing. Last one here is a biblical response to beholding the glory of God It's worship. Worship. I should have put that on a slide. I apologize. The biblical response to beholding the glory of God is worship. A couple of places I see this in Scripture. Think of doubting Thomas. After Jesus is risen, he said, I won't believe unless I see him. I won't believe it. I won't believe it. And eventually, finally, Jesus comes. He's gracious. Think how gracious he's being to Thomas. And he finally, he reveals himself to Thomas and in, in seeing and finally understanding who Christ is, what does Thomas do? The manifestation of the holiness of God in this moment, what does Thomas do? He falls on his knees, and he says, my Lord, my God. It's worship. It's worship. Think about, uh, this one's laid out very clearly word for word in scripture. When Jesus and Peter walk on water, Jesus and Peter are walking on water. Obviously, Jesus allows Peter to walk on water, looks away, starts maybe thinking of himself, trying to do this on his own ability, or perhaps fear is creeping in. That which does not proceed from faith is sin. It begins to sink. Jesus saves him, right? They get back on the boat. Immediately, the storm waves cease. And in seeing this, just the last couple verses here, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Into verse 31, verse 32. And when they got under the boat, the wind ceased, here it is, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. But the holiness of God was revealed, and they worshiped. They worshiped. Worship is a proper response to the glory of God when we see it. One of the sweetest ones I think of is the woman washing Jesus' feet, The woman washing Jesus' feet. You see, what we don't know is before that, somewhere, this woman had gotten saved. Whether it was amongst the many crowds as Jesus is preaching, perhaps the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps when he's feeding many thousands, at some point in time, littered amongst many, more than likely, or in a small crowd as he's going from place to place doing his peripatetic ministry, she comes to Christ. And she sees her sins and her great need for a savior and she is saved. And in this moment, she doesn't care who's watching. She doesn't care who sees. She doesn't care how awkward it is for anybody else. She's gonna worship. She's gonna wash his feet and worship him. Luke 7, you can go back and see that. A proper response to beholding the glory of God is worship. So we'll just close with this. If you desire to grow and a love for the glory of God, if your heart is pricked and you've seen in your own life ways that perhaps you too are in danger of stealing the glory of God or those around you are in danger of stealing the glory of God, the answer is simple. What do I do? Where do I go from here? The glory of God, the burning, bright glory of God is never seen more clearly than where? The Calvary and the shadow of the cross and there too you would go. To be able to grow in your love for the glory of God and grow in your love for Christ. Much like Pilgrim in Pilgrim's progress as he's going up the hill and he's got this heavy weight on his back and he's going and he's going and he's going and then he sees in the distance this cross and as he gets closer and closer, eventually the weight rolls off his back and falls into the sepulchre. And he's free. And the weight is gone. He's free from the shackles of his sin. And now what once was dead was made alive. And there too, we too can fall in love all over again with the glory of God and live for him and not for us. There too, we can fall in love with Christ more and more deeply and be consumed with his glory. We live in a culture and a world that is consumed with glory. Let us be men and women who are consumed not for ours, but for his Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, God, that you are a jealous God, that you are a God consumed for your glory and not ours. Because, God, this is good and this is right. Because, God, you are the one who is actually worthy of glory. God, forgive me of my pride and my vanity. Forgive us of the silly little ways that we seek to exchange your glory for the things of this world and creation, things resembling mortal man in this world. God, we know that they fall short. We know that we have exchanged the truth for a lie. And God, we want to just live for you. I pray that this morning that as we hear from your word, as we worship you in song and hear truth from your gospel, that God, we would be free of ourselves and no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. God, and there is freedom and there is your glory and there is a life that brings you much glory and fills this world with your glory, your intention from the beginning. Your kingdom come, your will be done, God, in our lives. Father, we love you.